Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. History of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. The trains were delayed. It's going to stuff us up all day. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. We are so pleased to be with you to talk about the social, the stupid and the sublime around our AFL football. I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Nicole Hayes. Alicia Sometimes. Oh, full deck. I'm Felicity Race. Oh, I've got a full quorum of the coven today. How are you all? Uh, let's kick it off by talking about the round that was. It's getting very interesting on that ladder. It's not a step ladder. It's, it's not like a, a big, fully fledged, clean out the gutters ladder because there are so many people who teams who can still make it. I really enjoyed the last round, Lucy. I really enjoyed the last round too because my team got back on the W side of the ledger, so that was good. I really enjoyed that Melbourne Brisbane game. Beautiful night too. Wasn't how it? did you How did you find it, Nick? Oh. <laughs> Not quite as pleasant <laughs> as you did. However, you know it's made the competition very interesting. So there's actually five teams. Okay, it's probably technically six, but five teams that are still a chance for the two grand final spots, and obviously the Bulldogs with their game clear and their nice thumping percentage that it's still, you know, even though it got a bit of a shake, is still their best shot to take one of those spots. Brisbane and Melbourne, you know, competing for that next one, but they have to win both games um, to be to, to be um, firm about that. Adelaide and Giants also still have a chance. Um, it's a lot tougher for them because of their draws and it also will rely on other results, even if they both win out this season. But talk about sort of changing things up a bit. We thought we had a fairly secure thing not that long ago. So, And teams with C, do they start? Teams with C, no, they're not looking good. Oh. Look, it's not impossible. Unless you count crows. I said crows Adelaide. can still oh, make it, but it oh. does start with the letter A. Oh. Sorry, Alicia. As a crow eater, I, I'm thrilled, to be honest, that um, they won on the weekend, but I'm not sure about their chances yeah. now. If Aaron Phillips... Doesn't play with that quad injury. Quad awareness, I think it's Adelaide actually need um, Melbourne, Brisbane, and GWS to lose. So they 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 are not masters of their own destiny. And they have to win both (laughs) their games. I mean, they can't. You can't just assume those wins. And how's Ebony Marinoff? She split her tongue playing against Carlton, and I love her quote: "It hurt, and my tongue felt weird, but I had no idea it was in two pieces." The young star said. I mean, how many times have we been through that That in Lizardland? You know. (laughs) (laughs) What I realised from this round is with the Melbourne Brisbane game. I think we could have before the game written down who was going to be the best on field for both teams because it's the same names every week, isn't it? You know, it's extraordinary. The, you know that. Um, extraordinary presence of you know, Daisy and Paxman and O'Day, but then can we reference our talk Sabs? about Sab and our um, mate Sabs. Kate Buckins with their three we goals? Could have, 
Honestly, could have written that beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing. <I> know. <laughs> amazing. Let's just write in the history books now. What about Tegan Cunningham? Her nose got split in two, the same as Eb Marinoff's tongue. There were so many head clashes so and so many, many bumps. Mr P is in the house. He's got some work to do. But... Um, <laughs> Thanks to P's going Miss- off, by the way. <laughs> we just, I just want to truly, in one, just in a small moment, wallow <laughs> in the genius that was Mr. P Felicity. I think it's going to take <laughs> off. You. you will see people supporting Mr. P. Don't I you? love that they're spelling it out E E too. P E E. That is a whole new level. And just as a slight correction, don't Google Mr. P P. We did that once. Yeah, we've been warned. Yeah. But it was a really physical round. I think you're right. And that Collingwood Bulldogs game was off, going off. off. Yeah. Mm. And it was interesting to see a few reprimands. Um, had a fight with my husband about the... A melee as well? The melee. Yeah, the melee. <laughs> no. Well, about the, the um, throwing people over the boundary. Oh, that was yeah. But something that I've seen creep into AFLW is the sling tackle. Mm. Yeah. And I know that's something that... They're working very, very hard to stamp out at junior level. And I'd really like to, I know, you know, we had a chat on the radio show last week and one of the things we talked with Shiloh about was umpiring and, and how we we need more umpires to get experience. So we're, there's going to be some times where it's maybe a little bit patchy, but I'd really like to see them put a go stop hard. to that, yeah. go hard on that yeah. sling tackle because it's so dangerous. And waiting to after the fact with Mr P is not going to, you know, Sorry. isn't having the impact it should. <laughs> but do you want the... We, I can, Mr. No. P. can I just say something about Mr P? Um, what I find is really interesting is that the umpires, um, as we know, and as you just stated, Lucy, they're still, you know, finding their feet. These are people who are, you know, cutting their teeth on the AFLW, right? So what's being adjudicated on the ground is very different to getting the actual, like, professionalism of Mr P. Um, So it feels like there's a bigger gap. That's what I think. I feel like I'm watching Mm. a game Mm. where things are being, where whistles are being put away, where things are being let go a lot more than they would perhaps Mm. in AFL M. But then the reprimands are coming just as hard. I feel like it's when, you know, you yell at your kids for something, you know, really minor, but then... But you haven't warned them. You haven't warned them. Yeah, exactly. Having said that, there were, I mean, seven charges came out of it, but only (sighs) one suspension. So... Um, and five of those are from Collingwood versus Bulldogs. I don't know. I feel like there was something about the Moe vibe, do you reckon? I don't know. Just maybe having to drive that far or something. <laughs> but they were feeling a little antsy. You know how you get a bit frustrated if you've been in the car a long time? <laughs> and they're fighting. It, it meant a lot to Collingwood. I think that they, the yeah. stakes were just so high. And Steph Chiocci, you know, wow. The, the bruises, Libby the Birch. Season, yeah, have so, a look at her Instagram. I know Libby Birch's face does look like she's walked into a fridge, so and it, I don't mean Amanda Ferrugia. No. She really looked. It looked really bad, and I, I wondered. I want to know what the concussion test actually is because if the is the concussion. Do you know this, Kate? Concussion test. It's based on. She's um, not a real doctor. A test. No, that, oh, just, I'm a fake one. That. Fake one. Mm-hmm. Fake, fake, I've got fake a fake doctor. little card like Doctor oh. Nick from The Simpsons. Ah, yeah, Doctor F. <laughs> Dr. F. Do you mean I shouldn't have got you to check out that rash earlier? Is that awkward? Just put some cream on it, it'll go away. But so, um, but so with but, the concussion test, I think that it's time-based, right? So what I do know is that in the AFL-M, I think they give 20 minutes to the doctor to assess somebody and they ask you a series of basic questions. I think things like what day is it and where are you and do you know what your name is and what's your date of birth and so on um, to see whether or not you're able to remember basic pieces of information and maybe also some kind of um, responsive testing. Mm. Um, Mm. But, 
Yeah, I mean, I I'm not sure how it works in the AFLW with a shorter game. I yeah, think, I think that's something we need to. I think look we should. Into. Well, and you're also that. not meant to go back on. That's so. Whether I don't know how Libby came up, but it's you know. Well, hopefully she passed all those tests. Mm. But the general pol- policy is that you can't go back on in the same match, um, and. It's not that long ago. I feel like it might have been the 90s or maybe the late 80s where... That's a while ago. That is a while ago. <laughs> Sorry. It's all relative. 30, um, 40 years ago. When there was a guaranteed, if you went off for concussion, you weren't allowed to play the no, following yeah, week. that's right. And I just feel like with all the researchers coming out and the fact that we're learning how little we know about the implications for concussion, this might be a policy the AFL could have another look at. I know. I mean, we've spoken a bit about concussion on this show. And going back to the 1980s, I mean, a great example is John Platten, who in the 1989 grand final against Geelong was concussed. And I believe he says that he remembers nothing of... Mm. At least the second half, but perhaps the whole day. I think I think that, you know, and he, um, among others, has joined a lawsuit um, against the AFL about this. Yeah. Um, Nick, you have a few of the details there, I think, about who's involved. So it was launched in November at the end of last year. And so you've got Essendon and Geelong Ruckman John Barnes and retired Melbourne and North Melbourne um, player Sean Smith, as well as John Platten, as you said. Um, and that's part of a damages action against the AFL over concussion-related concerns. Um, John Barnes in particular has uh, memory blanks. He has um, uh, various other kind of recurring pain and and, um, headaches, that sort of thing. John Platten is concerned he's developed sort of dementia-related symptoms, which is really horrifying. I know it is. I mean, one of the things that we often hear when we talk about what what sometimes is a misconception with lawsuits of this kind, and the main misconception is that if somebody has – actively voluntarily participated in a sport and taken on those or assumed the risks that are part of the game then if you end up being injured you can't sue and that is a principle of law um, sometimes in some circumstances but the difference here is that the AFL and clubs and so on have a duty of care and with concussion I think it's uh, it's especially magnified or amplified what that duty is because if somebody is confused and can't make decisions for themselves, you have a real duty of care, a real obligation there to ensure that you step in in a paternalistic sense and remove them from the field. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, the AFL has been a bit in the news this week with lawsuits because a piece in the conversation caught my eye a few days ago. It's a piece by Liam Elphick and Antonio de Paolo Buti. And it's about former Brisbane Lion footballer Michael Close. He did his ACL in a match at Dockland Stadium back in 2015. I don't know if you remember that. And um, he's now launched a lawsuit against um, Brisbane and Docklands and the AFL. He's joined them all together. And the allegation there is that the playing surface was unstable and irregular because there was some artificial turf near the interchange area. There have been successful lawsuits like that in the past. So I think on a few fronts there, um, there there's probably a bit for the AFL and for the clubs and the stadium to, um, to look at. And now that the AFL owns that stadium, yeah. um, uh, mm. you know, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing. And it's hard as an audience member, you see Libby Birch go on, you think, what a warrior, what a champ, but is it best for her? Well, exactly. And, you know, we talk all the time about how the stakes are so much higher in AFLW because it's such a short season. And I get worried that, you know, we know that in the AFLM, often people kind of fudge the results to try and get back quicker. Is there even more pressure that these um, women put on themselves to get back quicker, you know, by trying to 
you know, if you've only got eight games, you don't yeah. want to miss any of them. Not only that, I think it's gendered. I would feel a real pressure if I got a head knock to get back out there again. I don't know, Alicia, if you remember when I had a, a hanger taken on me during the Community Cup. <laughs> yeah. um, look, it was a while ago. I'm okay now. But um, <laughs> a drummer from the band with no name took a screamer on me. I went off with the blood rule, but I, I felt really... Um, I know it sounds really stupid. I only played three games ever, but um, it made me. I real. I was quite desperate to get back out there to prove that just because I was a girl, it didn't matter. Yeah. I was I'd knocked been... to the ground. Yeah, and bruised eye, and I really didn't know where I was for a couple of seconds, and then uh, you know, so it was such a hard hit. That's and I remember concussion. feeling, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just a couple yeah. of seconds. I didn't yeah, know what the concussion. hell was going on. Were there bluebirds? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's bluebirds. It was concussion. funny. We spoke to Tegan Cunningham in the rooms um, after the Melbourne win, and she has played um, basketball at the highest level. And can I say that <laughs> she's played college ball? She's yeah. Played and she took the ball at the highest point. Let's just <laughs> yeah. like yeah. She's really good at it. But Let's she'd never been there. concussed before and she no. said when she kind of came to and they said, you, you've got a concussion, she burst into tears because she was like, oh, oh, it's a concussion. And all the blood. All she hasn't seen that much blood, she I know, said. it's full on. So Libby Birch was injured. She has previously been a rising star. Yeah. Nicole, the Bulldogs are just cleaning up on this rising star competition. Is this correct? Um, not this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> Was there not another Bulldog this week? Um, I've got Adelaide's Eloise Jones and Carlton's Brian Moody oh, okay, this great. week. So they're um, like Bulldogs. Yeah. yeah. In that they play <laughs> that they're not. <laughs> but um, just in different jumpers. <laughs> so uh, Brian Moody on the weekend managed 29 hitouts and 11 disposals. She's averaging eight months. Eight marks and 19 hitouts a match and third highest in the competition. Um, and this on the weekend was against Premiership Ruck Adelaide's round and Metcalf. So, you know, not a bad not a bad game, not a bad effort for her. And Adelaide's Aloise Jones um, also had a standout game. She kicked two goals in five minutes in the second term, which which put the Crows in front and they didn't relinquish that lead. Um, it, it's interesting, this common story about the basketball. Jones rejected a US college basketball sh- scholarship to play AFLW. So, you know, we, we're seeing that quite a bit, aren't we? Um, and it's really helping them in this rising star thing. I guess that leap really works yeah. for them. It shocks me when people don't don't take up those opportunities and choose to play this game. And I wonder whether... There's more coverage of AFL growing up, and so that's why it feels like it, you own it more. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm that, going to posit a, th- a different theory. Yeah, what's that? It's the most fun you can play. The, oh, yeah. of all, I yeah. played I agree. every sport there was at growing up, and they're Cur- hands curling? down. Curling? <laughs> curling. <laughs> Sorry, of the fun sports. Um, and, a, and it is hands down more fun than any of those games. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know what it is about being able to use your whole body and using all of those skills, hands, feet, speed. Brain. Uh, brain. Breasts. Well, brain, not Chest. so much. But yeah, all of those, I, I, I just, there's something incredibly freeing about being able to do it. And then also not being allowed to puts the impetus when you're older to get that mm, opportunity. Yeah. It feels like a bigger deal. The other thing too about the US um, sports scholarships is they often don't cover the actual, you know, a whole lot of the expenses of of being there. So um, whilst it's, you know, it's awesome to be offered one, um, you know, the costs associated with going to college in the US are are rarely covered by those scholarships. So it's a huge financial commitment for families to actually accept them and take them up. One thing that was interesting on um, out of our radio show on Saturday was we got a caller who said he's been frustrated because he hasn't been able to watch the games and he was in Swan Hill 
and he doesn't have free to, he doesn't have sorry pay TV and he didn't want to watch the games on a device which I completely understand. I love the AFLW app. I have found that really helpful but I don't want to watch games on a device either. I want to watch it on TV. Um, and so again we're back at this point saying should the games be live and free every game and I feel like if you're not playing for premiership points then maybe you don't cover those games but you do cover the ones that are playing for premiership points because I have to admit I'm frustrated that I see you know novelty football games on the TV but I'm but you can't get these AFLW games and I think it has much wider reaching um, issues than than just entertainment. I completely agree Emma and I think one of the issues with I guess you know we understand that there are going to be some games on free to air and some on pay TV but within both of those channels they've been moved around so much as well to um, other ch- other parts secondary of channels, secondary yeah. channels and and I know that um, there were games that were moved off the main football channel from pay TV and people were you know tweeting around where how can I find it because it got bumped for the for the preseason men's comp What's really interesting is I think you will have seen this week they're starting to talk about the TV rights for next year mm. and, you know, positing who, who's going to put forward um, bids for those. That those The money that's going to come from those TV rights is going to have a direct impact on how much these women get paid. And so the frustration I find around the coverage is that when it decreases visibility – and you might find that you know ratings ratings are down because people can't find it. Mm. That if that's going to have an impact on the value how much of the licenses, the, the value yeah. of the licenses, I think that's really tricky. I've also heard people saying you know that the ratings were down on the first night, which was you know mm. epic last year because and people say it's because of you know it was history and everything. There was also Winter Olympics on. Mm. There was still cricket on, so it had all these other things competing with it. And then you throw AFLX in the mix. You actually just Don't you losing. just yeah mm. you're squashing mm. what this what is possible exactly. I mean there's. There's weeks when A-League soccer gets a lot less, um, you know, in terms of ratings. Um, Every week the crowds at Rugby League are less than AFLW. So uh, why wouldn't we measure those sports by the same standards that we're measuring AFLW by? And it's also worth just putting in front of people. I know so many fans of football that I talk to at barbecues or whatever have gone, oh, yeah, women's footy, great, love it. I haven't seen a game yet. Mm. haven't seen it on TV. Is it on TV? Is it on TV? I would watch it otherwise. One thing that is encouraging is um, I know those early rounds were down a little bit, but round four was up. Um, I think it was round three and four were up in average on the audience numbers for last year's comp and over 50,000 people tuned in to watch Round four, mm. and I I think we've got to think in terms for the for the um, networks themselves. This is a community service, at the very least. Girls and women deserve to get to see and get an opportunity to have the free to air networks get behind something that is absolutely much more than just a sport. It represents much more than that, and so they have to genuinely make an effort to lift the visibility of women's sport. We know what all the repercussions and um, are in terms of that health, mental you know, mental well-being, all of these factors, but also just that whole, if you don't see it, you know, you can't be it. 
Well, that's an interesting point, Nicole, because um, tomorrow North Melbourne is going to be launching a gender equality action plan, which is the first of its kind for a sporting organisation in this country. And it's very exciting. But one of the things that I've been looking at is that they're doing it, they've done it in partnership with Our Watch. And there was this great little video that I watched online. And I mean, Nicole thought it was quite dry. But to be honest, <laughs> I, it had some really interesting information. I just want to play a little bit of it now. So when inequality and disrespect are part of sport, it has a ripple effect on the rest of the community. When sport promotes and champions stereotypical versions of masculinity and femininity, these stereotypes seep into attitudes and behaviours in families, homes and schools. They become the norm. When degrading language and harmful forms of masculinity are justified as locker room talk, it normalises disrespect of women off the field. When aggression, intimidation, threats and violence are accepted as a way for men to resolve disputes on the field, we normalise emotional and physical violence in pubs, streets and homes. But sexist attitudes and disrespectful behaviours are only part of the problem. Despite almost equal participation of men and women in organised sport at a community level, women remain underrepresented in sport and underpaid at a professional level. So what we know is that when women are not seen and when they're not seen as equal to men, that it shapes and influences the community and our culture and the way that people live in everyday life. So I do actually feel like there is um, a community requirement for the the level the number of women's um, sports to be shown because it actually does have wider-reaching um Implications. implications and impacts. And one of the other stats that I saw coming out of that is that only 9% of sport that is um, reported on in the news is ever women's sport. 9%, that's nothing, right? It's token. It's just so ridiculous. So even if we would try to pump it up to 30%, mm. that imagine how many more women and girls that we'd, we'd capture along the way. Just one other thing I want to remind our listeners of is the story from last year, which I don't believe has yet been resolved, and that is that... Um, The federal government gave $30 million Mm. to Foxtel to um, have them broadcast more women's and girls' sport. And as you might remember, I think the ABC did a freedom of information request to find out if there was a contract or something else that... um, that established the terms upon which that money was granted. You know, what exactly was it that Foxtel had to produce and they could find nothing. So as far as I'm aware, that story has not... Well, that, that Those details have never been filled in. That gap hasn't been filled in. If any of our listeners know mm. differently, please tweet us or email us. Um, but, you know, I mean, Foxtel's got some money there and I wonder where it's going. Yeah. When we talk about visibility, um, one of the things that's been interesting this week is the AFL actually commissioned a study with a software company and it's about role modelling and about that whole idea of if you can't see it, uh, if you can see it, you can be it. And it talks about how we know team sport is is good in terms of health benefits, but it can also have a real impact on people's career prospects. And there's a nice little video on the app um, that that shows some of the players um, talking about how important it is to be a role model. But it's really interesting, like if, you know, for the AFL to put so much into to something like that and to make that link between how important it is for visibility, we know that the AFL has clout. And so what I hope is that they'll use that clout to ensure that 
broadcasters and other media outlets are really trying to get a lot of these stories and you know a lot of the games in in a position for people to see them. Mm. It was interesting hearing Gary Lyon say, and I think we all agreed with him saying, wouldn't it be great if like Channel Ten or you know someone like say Channel Ten, what they did with the Big Bash, if they got the rights to the AFLW and they just did a full number on it, they just overhauled the mm. whole thing and they made it the excitement of the summer because there is a lot of opportunity there and I know that you know there's some roadblocks and there's some other sports in the way but I think it's all about the the fans they're stuck on fans they are absolutely diehard they're making t-shirts they're turning up they're driving to Maui they're doing what they have to do but it's gathering those other people mm. who, for whom might sit down and put on the TV, see 10 minutes of it and go, oh, actually, that's just completely changed my mind. Mm. And I think that there's been a few games this season that could have done that. And I think that the... the, um, the uh, print media could also get behind it more too to just kind of the social media is doing a lot of work on their behalf and you know I, I've noticed that Fairfax has been pretty quiet on AFLW for the most part um, Herald Sun has pieces every now and then but has done a better job I would argue yeah yeah interestingly so um, they, they've got a, a role to play there too a lot of women left the age last year and yeah. I'm wondering whether coincidence that might I think not no I don't know like yeah Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think there's some great male writers there who really care about women's sport, but I think that then maybe maybe it's also a sign of how overworked they are and under-resourced. Um, did anyone – we saw Nat Exxon's hair again in the reels <laughs> on the weekend. It's impressive, oh, my isn't it? gosh. It's so beautiful. <gasps> awesome. I put out a, an Instagram post saying, could we crowd – you know, crowdsource enough money for her to actually keep it rather than get rid of it? <sighs> yes. Of course, she's cut it into that funny – Oh, it's not even funny. Kate it's McCarthy brilliant. Cut it for yeah. it. <laughs> but she's going to be taking it all off for the world's greatest shave, which is it's just a great thing for her to do, which is lovely. And your son is also doing that. I think my son is, is right? doing it. Yes. Mm, good luck. I, with that. I was a bit precious yesterday. I sent a message to his school saying, "Look, I don't, I don't want to be that person, but can you just confirm what you're doing and who's doing it, and have they used clippers before?" <laughs> <laughs> I was having a little Will moment. That um, <laughs> adult supervision. I, I did go on to um, Nat Exxon's fundraising page, and I did only see two. AFLW players' names on there who've uh, donated. So um, I think there's a big opportunity for <laughs> mm. if you love the AFLW and you want to get behind what Nat's doing, um, we might send out her link and see if we can get her fundraising up for um, curing blood cancers. Yeah, That's a wonderful. great idea. I wonder if there's a few AFLM players who are also doing the, a similar thing but just haven't kind of made the next link because I saw some mullets running around on the weekend that were quite frightening and I've also seen a very very white blonde man bun that's made its way from Bulldogs to Essendon on Jake Stringer yes nice just as long as Nick Natanui doesn't do it I'll give him money for to keep his hair you want him to keep I want him to keep his hair I'll pay for that yeah 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 Ben Stratton's really pushed the boat out this season oh my god what a mullet fabulous though usually he's pushing the boat out you know how he wears all those like mulga bill from Ironbark that's what I always think when I look at him different look So last week, Lucy, you were talking about gambling and we said, um, you know, if, if you if your club's doing some stuff that you're, you know, not okay with or you'd like to dig deeper on, why don't you contact your club? You contacted your club. I did. And um, I thought it was interesting that the day after we recorded the podcast that we saw a new um, study was published and that was all over the, the media last week. And 
that was Dr. Charles Livingston, who we actually spoke to last year, has done some research and has come to the conclusion that there's a link between AFL-controlled pokies and rising rates of family violence. So um, Dr. Livingston has used police crime data to identify that correlation and it's where it's, I think it's interesting is he's called into question the AFL's respect and responsibility policy and he's really asked the question of, of how does this all fit. But it was interesting to be able to have a chat to Hawthorne about where they sit on um, Pokey's revenue and it was nice to hear them acknowledge our concerns and I came away with two main points. One is that we often hear about the amount of money that's raised or the the money that's lost at Pokies venues and there's often a link to say that that's the amount of money that goes straight into clubs and it's not. It's There's a very big difference in terms of the money that's reported as being lost in venues and the money that actually comes into clubs. So I guess where that's interesting is that it shows that they're less reliant on, on that mm. money and that it might be easier to to find other revenue streams. And that's the second thing I came away with after having a chat to Hawthorne is that um, they've established a committee and the ex- with the express purpose of finding a new revenue stream. And that's something that they're committed to doing within, um, you know, a fairly short time frame, mm, I yeah. hope. To, re- to replace a revenue stream to replace a gambling. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Great. There was moments in our meeting where I, I wondered whether they might say that they didn't want us to be the number one ticket holders anymore because yeah. we were asking a, a like lot that. of questions but you know if you invite the six of us along we've got a lot to say you know <laughs> <laughs> I think they know what they took on board when they grabbed us yeah I know I think they did too Alicia you were looking at some news this week about mental health that's right and we spoke a bit about visibility and it's so important to see and hear people talking about mental health and I just wanted to give a big salute to um, Jess Wushner, uh, she spoke to Sarah Ollie uh, in, for foxfooty.com.au and she was saying that uh, she had a life-altering moment in more ways than one and she had a rough 2016. She said that she wasn't coming off that season well mentally and she said that you know, being at Brisbane, the change of environment and being around uh, different people that she's feeling uh, really good. But just the picture that Wushner paints of herself, it's hard for us to see such a confident, amazing, great woman like her have depression and that's the thing. You never know who's got it. You never know what's going on with someone and I think that that's an incredible thing to come out and I think it's such an important thing. We know some AFL players have um, and the AFL Players Association released figures that showed more players are seeking counselling and wellbeing sessions more than ever. So that's a wonderful thing and I'm just, I really just want to salute Jess for coming out and saying that and I just think it's important for the ongoing discussions about mental health. Did you see that video that was going, it was online um, about Wayne Swash, 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 Swash? Hard to say that one. Wayne Swash, Swash. Swatter. Swatter. I just thought he was, he's so brave and he's so outspoken and he um, really unpacks what was happening for him, for him a long time ago when he was playing and I think that that's impressive because, you know, his generation of um, players had a very different life and had a very different, you know, experience in footy. And I think the same when we look at Russell Green and how he's taking on the cultural fight um, for LGBTIQ rights and thinking back on what he has, you know, lived and now mm. what he's 
kind of offering up as his social service and those people don't really have to step up and, and do those roles. They, they could have easily walked away from football and dealt with them privately, but um, speaking out really makes such a big difference. Absolutely. It's just a, it's another um, illustration of visibility matters. And so the more that we can have people talk about issues that are often invisible mm. or kept hidden, Stigmatized it's, it's really important. Well, another big story that um, caught my eye in the week um, gone is that there's talk about James Hurd potentially making a return to footy. So I think you probably all saw this, that um, a story broke suggesting that Ross Lyon from Fremantle had approached James Hurd and asked him to consider a role with Fremantle that would involve opposition analysis, where, uh, as I understand it, Hurd would stay in Melbourne and not have any sort of um, sort of coaching or mentoring role with the team but analyse other teams and provide that intel to the club. Um, Fremantle apparently went to the AFL to ask whether this would be possible given James Hurd's history and the AFL confirmed that there was no impediment to his return and you know there was perhaps unsurprisingly a fairly mixed response on social media. A lot of people saying that they would be delighted to have him come to their club I saw a few people saying that they would hand back their Fremantle memberships if he came to the club. Mm. So, you know, very, very split. Um, and I just wanted to have a bit of a chat about about that because I think it's an important question about, you know, we hear words like redemption and and so on thrown around. You know, is it is it right for James Hurd to come back into the game? What does he need to come back into the game? Alicia, I wonder if you can just help us kick the discussion off by reminding us of some of the key statements that Hurd made back in the day about his role in Essendon and the the doping or um, the peptide scandal. In 2015, he said, I love the Essendon Football Club. It's been a part of my life since I was born. It was part of my father's life. It was part of my grandfather's life. And I am so sorry for anything that's happened or has been done wrong to our players or been done wrong to our football club. I, I and we would never do anything intentionally to harm this football club or to harm the game of AFL football that has given me so much and given so many people so much. Yeah, thank mm. you. So that's um, that's the context in which I, I wanted to sort of situate the discussion because, I mean, on the one hand, Sir, um, Heard served a suspension um, for bringing the game into disrepute and a number of people would say that he served his time and and the, the path is clear for him to return to the game. And I just wanted to reflect on it in relation to the question of an apology um, because I think really partly the question of whether... Um, Heard should be able to return to the game or whether the time is right for him to return to the game is one that um, people who were directly affected by his conduct are in the position to answer. So the, the, the men who played for Essendon and the families who played for Essendon and I, obviously we, we can't answer that ourselves, mm. but I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, sort of theories of, apolo- of an apology and, what, and when an apology is effective what an apology means. So um, there's a lot written on this, as you can imagine, um, about you know when, a, when an apology is meaningful. And I wanted to just reflect on the work of one particular person who I've mentioned on this podcast before, whose work I really love, and that's a, a philosopher called Sarah Ahmed. Um, so she's written a lot about apologies, and she wrote in a very specific context about them, in the context of the apology offered to the stolen generation. So obviously a a very, very different um, context. But what she said, and I'll just read to you some of it, she wrote that what a speech act does may depend on how it is sent, 
who receives it and other contexts of the utterance. She says that an apology, an apology can declare an emotion, but it's not the same thing as having an emotion. And then she goes on to say that when you offer an apology directed to something specific, so for example, if you say, I apologised if, if you feel your trust was breached, um, or I apologise if you were hurt, she says it might not be received well by the, the, the intended recipients. And that's because the person who offers the apology is making an assumption about what the wrong was. And that's why apologies often don't work. Um, but on the other hand, she says, if you offer an unconditional apology that just says, well, look, I just, I apologise. That often also does not work because it doesn't offer an explanation for anything specific. It doesn't really engage with the problem. So I have been reflecting on Hurd's words and why it is that his apology or his intended apology or his attempt to take responsibility, however, whatever it was, why it is that it perhaps hasn't resonated with with the public. Um, and, you know, I should say that, you know, going back to the, the stolen generations, for a lot of people that apology resonated and worked and for a lot of Indigenous Australians it didn't because it seemed to try and put an end to things, um, to sort of close off the discussion and say that's now done. And I, I, I'd like to hear basically from people who are affected by that, from the family members and people at Essendon about how they feel about Herd's conduct because I think ultimately it's most up to them. I, you know, my thought on that is... What he's saying in the press is a, um, you know, an apology based with legal language. He's a man who had a very close and intimate relationship with all these players, and I don't doubt that he has had individual conversations with each of them. And that is not, that's none of our business, what his apology is in person, his, you know, his personal relationship with those players, because there's no way that that happened and he stepped back and made every comment to them via the media. You know, you don't know what goes on, you know, I don't know. Privately. I disagree with that. I feel like he hasn't spoken to everyone. I feel that there's people who say, no, I haven't spoken to him, that were involved in that mm-hmm. that thing. I, I hear what you're saying. I feel like with an apology, you have to hear what it is that someone's aggrieved about and then address that individually. Mm. And that's going to be really hard with, for this because everyone feels aggrieved in a different way, yeah. in fans and parents and players and, you know, and external. And and I think the language itself, uh, you know, the, the fact that there's that if question, if there has been wrong, um, so that immediately sort of counters the idea that there has been a wrong and, and I don't think we can question that, um, but also the use of the passive voice in the construction. So if wrongs were done or some version of that, mm. which is... When I, when I teach writing, one of the things you say, if you want to make a statement that's powerful, is you put your subject there and you make it into active voice. You own that. So I did wrong or I apologise for the mistakes mm-hmm. I made is actually a statement, an assertion um, that has power and, and unquestionable gravitas in a way that that statement did not. And while it might have been legalese at that point, I mean, he was being sued. Any, like I don't think that was going to be the deciding factor in terms of what happened to him later on, um, given the investigation was much went you, well beyond that. Do you not believe that he's, I mean, he's been punished. He's, you know, he's been... You know, I mean, he's had a huge physical and mental, emotional toll as well as his actual professional. Is there no coming back for him for for you? Oh no, I... I'm asking Kate. I'm looking at her, <laughs> going, you know, I'm just, I'm intrigued by this idea that so many people deserve a second chance and deserve redemption, but there is something about James Heard with a whole lot of people where he hasn't done anything to us 
you know. And so why are we so aggrieved by it? I'm not. Uh, I, yeah. I Well, look, I personally think he deserves a second chance yeah. because I believe very much that people should have a second chance. And, um, and I guess what I'm trying to do is just come at it from a different way and try to understand why it is that Heard's public utterances might not have resonated with everyone or why it is that people are still aggrieved. Yeah. And I think it's partly about the language that he yeah. used being insufficient or inadequate or in, in I think in some people's minds actually doubling down on the wrong yep. you know actually compounding the suffering by itself being another kind of wrong in addition to the first wrong and mm. so I, I, I'm trying to understand actually yeah. why it is that there's such resistance to Herd's return but I, on the other hand I, you know I I accept that what happened at Essendon I think was egregious mm. absolutely egregious mm. and I've always had a huge problem with it. It's about remorse and and I think the the question of the apology demonstrates one way or the other for me, but effectively he just said hashtag sorry not sorry. That's what it sounded like to me, and that's where I just think, well, how is he redeeming himself if he punishment is only counts if, it, if there's actually redemption, if there's actually a, a desire to do better and to learn from your mistake, and uh, you know maybe he is doing that, but he's keeping it to himself. And it's interesting what you're saying, Felicity, putting it in context. Of course, some of you may have seen the 7.30 report. Uh, Matthew Lodge, Brisbane Broncos player, um, in 2015 was arrested at gunpoint after a violent home invasion in New York where a family was uh, rampaged uh, in their their home where their son was so upset. He was like, I'm too young to die as uh, his mum and him um, were in the bathroom. The victims have launched a civil suit against Lodge with the court ordering him to pay $1.6 million. So there was a story about him on the 730 report two nights ago. It was one of the most horrific things. I'm so sure you've seen the video. It is incredibly violent. And he went on pay TV last night to apologise. And his apology, uh, you know, he says he couldn't be more sorry. He didn't speak to the 7.30 report. He said, I'm not brought up like that. I don't come from a bad family and that doesn't represent them or my family. I've probably done a couple of years worth, speaking of rehab, I stayed in rehab facility for six weeks and lived there with people going through addiction problems and all sorts of things. And he said that he did send a letter. The, they, the victims have said they haven't seen it, but that was put up on the 7.30 report, uh, Ports website. Um, it, for me is nothing. Can anything make up for this event? I don't think so. And I think that the Brisbane bon- Broncos haven't have done the wrong thing by accepting him by back signing. into their fold. Do you think they would have a policy on if you had a um, a violent crime against your name? But, you know, the flip side of that is he owes those victims, I think, $1.6 million US and without a job has no hope of paying them. So, But he's also said he won't. Oh really? Yeah. Well, or at least on he that has report not he paid said one thing. Well, yeah, no, I know he's paid did. nothing because he's got no money. No, not because he said he couldn't. So, though. As yeah. far as I know, he said he wouldn't, didn't he? Isn't that what? That's but, what they were reporting. Yeah, that's what they're reporting. You know, we've talked most of today about visibility and role models <laughs> and and how <laughs> yeah. important that is. That's and, right. And one of the quotes that came out of that story from the club is someone saying, "At the end of the day, we're just here to play rugby." Yeah. That's our job. That, we can't focus on things we've got no control of. And I disagree with that. I think what we're seeing is that everything is siloed, that we have had everything in this game siloed. We've had white ribbon round. We've had Indigenous respect round. We've had, um, you know, 
multicultural um, round. Yeah, but not only that, like it just goes uh, men play on the field, women do this and everything's been siloed. But actually what we're seeing is that if pokies can connect to domestic violence and whether or not the, sh- the games are shown on free-to-air can affect whether women and girls feel that they um, can have a, a equality, an equality. Yeah. Mm. like all of these things are connected and I think that that's the new world order and that's where the the league actually has so much responsibility mm. and you can have one, you know, a person for each of these types of um topics or streams and to try and integrate it but actually it has to be really holistic and it's a cha- and it's a real challenge and I think it's a real challenge the thing that we love about football is that people can get redemption in football and um, what you what you hope for is that um, that everyone has a journey which gets them to a point where people are not aggrieved anymore and that people can move on and learn from it and that everything, without sounding like Oprah, is a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Where's my car? And things don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Hayes didn't miss a beat. But none of, it, none of it stops at the white line. No. no. We're so excited because Martin Flanagan, icon, iconoclast, author of 17 books and a play, doting grandfather to Ned who's actually here and in the background, the man who Kevin Sheedy once gushed, I love his brain, now joins us with his inside story of the Western Bulldogs 2016 premiership fairy tale, A Wing from the Universe. Welcome, Martin. Thank you very much. Great to have you on The Outer Sanctum. Wonderful to be here. <laughs> now, A Wink from the Universe is a beautiful title. It's multiversed. It's incredible. How did it get its title? Well, I wrote my first book on the dogs in 1993. And when I went out there, I was really shocked by how quiet it was. And uh, it was a very introverted place and it was stoic and people hardly spoke. And there was no history up around the walls. And they were having a bad year and I thought, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to write a book out of this. And I started reading every book I could find on the western suburbs and I came across a novel called A Bunch of Ratbags by William Dick. And in that novel there's a character called the Mad Russian. And if you... Sorry. And if you kicked the foot, your footy into the Mad Russian's place, he was as like to put a knife through it. So the Mad Russian had a wife who was short and dynamic and quite beautiful apparently and she ran a boarding house and one of the people in the boarding house was a bloke called Reg Cook and he was he was a cut above the rest he dressed up on Sunday even though he didn't go to church and he took the mad Russian son who was then eight to the footy so the mad Russian son Alexander in his own words had a Russian father a Polish mother and a name that sounded Greek so in 1960s Australia he was a wog an outsider but because of Reg Cook, he grew up inside the Footscray Footy Club. And for decades, he and Reg Cook went to the footy. And Reg Cook was a footy optimist. So when the dogs got flogged, Reg Cook would say something like, wasn't it a lovely goal so-and-so kicked today? So he taught Alexander Petropoulou football optimism. And then Alexander Petropoulou had a son, a daughter, Carmen. And when Carmen was born, her mother was ill. And Alexander had to bring her up on his own. And he bought her the first day she was born he bought her a bulldog scarf um and 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 just as reg cook and alexandra gone to the footy together for decades carmen and her father have gone to the footy together for decades so 
come to 2016, come to the the last match of the round, the dogs get flogged by Fremantle, who are 16th placed in Perth. They have to go back to Perth in the first week of the finals. They haven't won there for years. Their average losing margin in recent times is 70 points. They're at 67 to 1 to win the flag. No one gives them a chance. And Carmen Petropoulou has what I call her Joan of Arc moment. She has this premonition <laughs> that the dogs are going to win the flag. At that time around Australia, there probably would have been three other people who agreed with her. And on the Monday, she was walking along South Bank here in the middle of Melbourne to get her coffee before work, wearing her bulldog scarf. And a bloke on a building site saw her and yelled out, I reckon your boys are going to win. Two weeks off will do them the world of good. And she looked up and she liked his face and she thought, that's all we need, a wink from the universe. Oh. <laughs> Who would have thought, though, she was, she was almost alone in thinking that the Bulldogs She was were almost win. alone. And she's, <laughs> she's a wonderful supporter because she's always in defending her players when they're attacked by, her, by Bulldog supporters as well as other supporters. She's, you know, she's the real heart and soul of that club. And uh, it was wonderful for me to be able to give the book a title that comes from a Bulldog person. I love that it comes from the idea of football optimism. Yeah. And I think as a Bulldog um, supporter over the journey, you had to be um, well-versed in football optimism to still be there. Yeah. Going forward to the, the 2016 year, yeah. how early in that season, in the writing of that book, like how early in that season did that optimism for you know, what was eventually going to be the premiership, how, how early did that show itself? Well, I think um, the miracle of what occurred, I think Bob Murphy's incredibly important in the way that he holds that group together because they're a very disparate group. They had a, a subculture within the culture that Bob used to call the Surrealists, uh, and he, he held them together. Uh, so he was really important. But Beveridge is the one who comes into the club which has no culture of success you know, the club historian says no one expected us to win in 2016, not even us. And Beveridge comes in and he believes they can win and he manages to shield his players from the culture that says they can't. And during that year, they suffered two demoralising losses, one to Geelong and one to GWS. And that's reading his notes, that's what you get. He, it, it's a very lonely thing he does, but he refuses to surrender the vision that they can win the premiership when virtually no one else shares it. Mm. So the the actual, the wild optimism, that doesn't really, em- they started the season very well, but, but then they had the terrible run of injuries. But it, the, the magic period is the bye because something happens in the bye uh, between the loss to Frio and going to Perth believing they can win. That's when the magic occurs. The fairy dust was yeah, on that weekend. Yeah. But um. I, you talk about Luke's grandfather, Jack Beveridge, yeah. and, you, and you speak of cogs in a machine that all turn just so to make a team genuine premiership contenders. And yeah. you're right. In 2016, the Western Bulldogs took teamwork to another level. They were a different kind of machine. They were a caring machine. How do those juxtapositions work to create what was the 2016 dream team? Well, I, rec- I think Beveridge is a really unusual man. And um, you, he's got he's got the two sides to his story, and one is Jack Beveridge playing in the Collingwood machine, incredible football success coming through that side of his family, so he knows what that's about. But the other side, he was very close to his mother, and his mother was very close to her father, 
and her father is from the Greek island of Samos. And um, I think he's one of those men who, by being as close as he was to his mother, he knows a lot about caring. And when I interviewed the players, they all thought he cared for them and they all thought Bob cared for them. And it, But at the same time, Beveridge is really hard in his judgments. But he was able to balance those two and he never lost that balance so that no matter what happened, the players still believed he cared for them. So it's an incredible balance that he... That's that's what's amazing about what he did. I loved um, reading your book. There was a lot of um, excerpts from Luke Beveridge's notes. <laughs> yeah, and I found some of them quite literary. You know, yeah. his his description of and, and I guess his metaphor for the season of um, you know starting off um, you know from their Otways training camp and, yeah. and drawing analogies to that. You know, who's going to carry the load up the waterfall yeah. at the end? And I, I just wonder when you. When you looked at those notes, is that as a writer, were you expecting to see such literary gems in there? Well, the, <laughs> I, I I knew he was a really interesting man because he was when I wrote the book on the dogs in '93, he was there, he was a player, and so he and I'd had a relationship over those twenty years, and then as the dogs had sort of started to declare themselves in 2015, he'd he'd said a series of things which were just interesting. And then when I got to know him better, and like I think it's very significant that he's one of the last people ever to hold down a job and be have a role in the AFL. So he's from outside what they like to call the industry. Mm-hmm. And when he finished playing, he was in the tax department, and they put him through a degree in tax law, but he had to do a couple of subjects that had nothing to do with it, and he did creative writing. Right. Okay. And he... Um, started to become interested in, in writing and he became interested in the power of metaphors and images. And, um, you know, one of the many interesting little coincidences is that um, the island of Samos, where his, his grandfather Alec came from, is also where Aesop comes from. And Aesop told fables and Beveridge told fables. And oh. one of his fables that comes out in the middle of the year is the story of the, the salmon that has to get past the grizzly bear to breed and therefore have a history. Mm. And and that's what he's saying to his players. At some point, you've got to go past your wildest fear. And um, he takes him past it. So he's a really interesting man. One of the female, one of the women directors at the Bulldogs said to me, he made him so hard and he made him so soft. Oh, you know? Wow. I loved it when he spoke about the... African wildebeests. And so oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that you've said uh, that you always sit on the fence and not in the press box yeah. at footy games yeah. because I need to feel the pace of the game and the power of the collisions to yeah. really appreciate the skill and the daring of the players. Yeah. And that what that's what excites you about the game. Yeah. Who are some of these people you're sitting with? What's it like at that boundary line? Well, the reason I fell in love with footy was because when I was growing up in Burnie on the northwest coast of Tasmania, it was only 10 or 15,000 kids, but footy was like a tribal dance and there were so many kids in the town who could dance. And I was in this Catholic boarding school. It was a pretty bleak and lonely place and I didn't, I didn't connect with any of it. And the most interesting thing by far was being out on the footy field because apart from anything else, it was a silent culture. No one really ever said anything. And then I'd be out on the footy field with these people who were, who declared themselves, and I would see, I would see this. You know, they would they would show aspects of themselves that I'd never seen before, and then there were these kids who could really play, 
and I saw beauty and I saw grace and I saw their skill and daring and that's where I first fell in love with the game. And so James Hurd said to me once in, in his final year that when he lost the feeling he had as a kid, he'd stop playing. Um, and, and so the thing that gives me words is when I get neck down on the boundary, when I can feel the pace of the game, when I can feel the power of the collisions, then I start to appreciate the skill and daring and that's when I get excited and that's when I get my words. You know, I, I still remember reading your last column for The Age. Oh, and yeah. I, you described, um, I think your, your quote was that footy people are my people. Yeah, yeah. And in reading that, I imagined you meant the players, but yeah. I'm, I'm sensing that you mean a much broader yeah, absolutely. community yes. there. Yeah, it's the whole footy culture. Um, I grew up in it. I feel at home in it. Most of the stuff on footy I never intended to write. Footy is only one of my interests, but but I keep being asked. Like Beveridge got me to do this book. Terry Wheeler, who was the, then the coach of the Bulldogs, got me to do the one in 93. And it's I just get asked to do it and... I enjoy doing it and I enjoy the fact that footy people enjoy what I do. That's how it, you know, that's how I get my kick out of doing these things. It's like this book starts with me in a pub in St Kilda the week after the grand final and there's this off-duty policeman and uh, he's there and he's, he's, he's been drinking. I don't know whether he's drunk, but he was deeply immersed in his own world and he wasn't leaving till he had a copper's explanation for this mysterious <laughs> event he'd just witnessed. And he kept saying... There was nothing in our history which said we could do it. And so the other day I get this message on Twitter from his wife. He's just discovered he's in the book. And <laughs> what a thrill. That's when I get my thrills. That's there, when I get my kicks. There and, are so many beautiful stories. Sorry to yeah. take off, but so many beautiful stories like that in the book. Like yeah. the, um, one of the club doctors having a patient come in and, oh, yeah. you know, quite an ill patient walking in and, and crying. And, yeah. and, you know, perhaps you can tell the story. Oh, that he's he's a... The, the the club doctor, this bloke comes in who was who had real sports ability and, and, and was unable to develop it because of a disease he got and he comes in and he starts weeping and <laughs> the doctor thinks that, you know, he's having a breakdown because of life's misfortunes and when he finally speaks he says, wasn't it beautiful, wasn't it great and he's gone to the grand final with his kids and I've seen it I, I've got to tell you, what a, one of my favourite stories in that book is the guy called the Bulldog Pest, the, the fellow when I'm interviewing Eastern Wood, who comes up and stands on the edge with a book on North Korea, and his interests are art, books, and the bulldogs, and he lives alone with a cat. He's my age, and um, he, he he was adopted, and 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 he talks a lot about his adopted mother, Yvonne, and um, before she died, Yvonne told him who his real father was. And it was someone who played for Carlton. And he says, funny, I never liked Carlton. <laughs> and, and, and then Yvonne tells him to go into the Carlton Hall of Fame and make peace with his father. Aww. And he says, I'm not ready to do that yet because the Bulldogs are his family. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, footy's, footy's just, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I just love it. And I dedicated the book to the two women I used to sit on the boundary with uh, in 93 and watch training with. They're still there. And, and the older one, Pat, she's now 90. Her eyesight's gone. She's in a wheelchair and she's still going to the footy. <laughs> I see in so many interviews people ask you who you barrack for and you yeah. say, I've got to be honest, I barrack for football. Yeah. But after two beautiful books yeah. on Footscray, yeah. on the Bulldogs, are you a Bulldog? Well, you got to, to know them is to love them. But I, I could, um, like I spent quite a bit of time with Melbourne. I'd love to see them win one. Um, I, you know, I love the game. And I fear for the future of the game. And um, 
as I say, it was the culture I was brought up in. I mean, um, I feel as a footy writer a bit like someone on the west coast of Ireland who writes in Irish, you know. It's, footy's a world-class game followed by this tiny fraction of the world's population. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the essential paradox which the AFL should be fixing their minds on because if they lose, there's a balance. If they lose that balance, this game will go. Um, so, um, but to write about it, yeah, I mean, you, you're writing with this tiny number of people, but um, but anyway, it's what I was born to do. Martin, do you have some sadness about the state of football at the moment up in Burnie and oh, northern Tasmania? Absolutely. Like, like as a, five kids that I played footy against as a kid played VFL, AFL, five, including Johnny Greening, who's a Collingwood legend. Brent Croswell was coming along from Launceston. Johnny Greening and Brent Croswell both would have gone number one in the national draft. Um, in the mid-90s, a Tasmanian team beat a Victorian team. Uh, a Tasmanian team now wouldn't get within 100 goals of a Victorian team. Australian football only ever flourished in four places, South Australia, West Australia, Victoria and Tasmania. In one of them, it's in serious trouble. And if it can die in Tasmania, it can die anywhere. And, and when I was doing the book on the Bulldogs, I... I asked Simon Dalrymple, who was then the chief recruiter at the Bulldogs, is there more talent out there now or less talent? That's the critical question. And he said less. And I'm just thinking at the moment, one thing that is sort of reviving a lot of people's love in the AFL is the AFLW. What's your thoughts on that? I think AFLW is the best news footy's had in a very, very, very long time because it is a natural growth. It's a natural, organic growth. You know, to quote Danny McGinley's <laughs> famous, never-to-be-forgotten banner when the Dogs beat GWS in the preliminary final in Sydney, our club was born of blood and boots, not AFL focus groups. <laughs> and it's one of his best. That's one of his <laughs> best. And Australian football, when it starts in the 1850s, it's the rock and roll of its day. It's the new excitement, and it spreads like wildfire. Because And it's free entertainment in the parks and everyone wants to come and watch it. That's how it starts. That's how it spreads. And AFLW is a, is, is, is a natural, an entirely natural growth. The AFL didn't make AFLW. You know, it's, 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 it's come out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I know that in Queensland, the numbers of participants in Australian football over three years up to last year, it was increasing at 30% a year. Um, and and women's football could be the saviour of football in Tasmania, but it's going to need a lot of wisdom from here. And it's going to need the AFL to stop thinking they're a corporation, to stop deluding themselves that we should be following the NFL. We're not America. America's a mass exporter of culture. We're a mass importer of culture. Their game was never vulnerable in the way that ours was. And their game rests on the platform of college football. Ours doesn't. And I'm not saying that our game's like Irish football because it's not, because Irish football's amateur. But Irish football, it's only 5 million people in Ireland. Soccer's huge. Their rugby team is world class, but the Irish football is hanging on. And it's time we start to look at that and to see what lessons are there. The other gift that I think AFLW has given us is they've introduced a whole new group of people to the Witten Oval. <laughs> and having not been there you yeah. know, back in the day when it was, a, a, at the time, a VFL um, ground, um, it's an extraordinary place. Yeah. And I think your book really captures the sense of 
the magic. So the Western Bulldogs in the AFLW are looking keen and yep. looking set maybe for a grand final and a win. Yep. Who's going to win the AFLM this year perhaps? Um, I don't know, but I, I, in the book I quote John um, John Schultz, the, the Bulldog Club elder, um, and he said footy's now two seasons. It's two games. One is getting there. And the other is what you can do when you get there. And if you've got the right morale and the right energy, um, if you get to the final eight, you can win it. And it's a question of who's got what when they get there. If the dogs get to the final eight, they'll do a bit of damage. Um, but I, re- I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I, I wouldn't be riding off Essendon. I mean, it's it's now such an unusual. It's now a different game. And if, 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 if a spirit could come out of the ground and carry any side out of a long way, um, you know, imagine what an Essendon Premiership would be after that club, after all that club's been through. It would make a lot of people happy. Yeah. We've been speaking to Martin Flanagan, the author of A Wink from the Universe, the inside story of the AFL's greatest fairy tale, the Bulldogs 2016 Premiership. Thanks so much for coming in, Martin. No, thank you very much. This week we're celebrating International Women's Day. There's been lots of exciting things being released and new news, Alicia. Yesterday an ABC podcast was released called Fierce Girls and it tells the stories of incredible Australian women read by other fierce ones like surfer Stephanie Gilmore, actor Justin Clark, journalist Lee Sales and the like. And... The first one is Jessica Watson, the girl who sailed around the world. Brought to you by incredible people. Find it on your ABC place where you get good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that place. That place. There's, there's also something really exciting happening on the evening of Wednesday the 7th. So there's an International Women's Day kick at the MCG um, and find that on the AFL website. You can find details there and get along. And I'm doing a couple of panels for International Women's Day as well. So Thursday night at 6.30 at the South Yarra Library, I'll be speaking with Sally Warhaft, Tasneen Chopra and the Stonington Councillor Jamie Kilsaris about women in sport. And then Press for Progress Women in Sport panel um, on Friday at lunchtime with Peter Searle, who you might know, Mm. Guljan Koja, the soccer player from the Turkish Women's National Team and Melbourne Victory, and Danny Schwab, who is an international roller derby player. So that's at lunchtime on Friday. If you're in Melbourne. In Melbourne, I'm mm. sorry, yes. Melbourne. And tomorrow um, I'll be at the North Melbourne Football Club um, action plan, uh, gender action plan launch with Lucy and Felicity, which is really exciting. And um, keep your eye out for you know things that come out of that. I think there'll be a couple of stories. If you're in Darwin on Friday night, head along to the Adelaide Fremantle game. If you're in Queensland at the Moreton Bay Complex on Saturday afternoon, you'll see the Lions and the Pies. In Canberra, so these games are getting all around the country, um, GWS take on the Bulldogs. And in Melbourne at Princess Park on Sunday afternoon will be the Blues and the Ds. And we'll, of course, be back on radio from 11 till 12 on ABC Local and on Grandstand Digital. On International Women's Day, it is actually our three-year podiversary, people. So we announced on International Women's Day that a podcast was coming and we recorded it two days later. We're going to go out today with a little snippet from our very first podcast, which is... (laughs) Tinny. Tinny and surprisingly very similar to what you would have heard this morning. Thanks for joining us and go footy. And it really struck me that 
struck me that I'm not the only person who's having these discussions with my sisters and my mm-hmm. friends and, you know, the people that I meet every day. And um, it, I kind of think it's a shame that there aren't any female voices. Oh, well, there are, but there's not a lot of female voices in the media space. And um, And I think the fact that we all kind of, you know, met each other and enjoyed the discussion made me think, well, you know, we should be... Why, why can't it be us? Yeah, well, for me, I mean, just going to, you know, Auskick, hanging out with five-year-olds, as I do just randomly, um, the, the grin on the girls' faces when they're just beaming, mm. they think they can do it, they know they can do it, and it's just an exciting thing that... It, 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 there's a space for girls to play right now and and the women in the media that that, that are, are talking footy are doing it so well and there just should be more um yeah well for me i think it's just about um the real reason is because fomo i mean you guys are gonna have a ball <laughs> and not, you're not having it without me um but the grown-up reason is you know thwarted ambitions i never got to play so this time i get to be a player see what I did there, in, uh, in the commentary, in the conversation around football and just really being able to indulge one of my first, really my first love probably, children included. Oh, can no, I say? Children included. Yeah, children included. agree that football's our first love. <laughs> you know, I have an academic background and sometimes in policy circles or lawmaking circles, there's a little phrase that gets kicked around, which is this concept of nothing about us without us. Mm. And this is this, you know, the notion that if you're going to be talked about or... Um, anything's going to be done that affects you or impacts you, you should have a voice. And, and there's 50, uh, 50% of, pretty much 50% of AFL members are women. Mm. We're making the decisions for the children, who they're going to support, oh. when they're going to go. When they're going to wear their jumpers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just felt like there's plenty of men's, teams of men out there talking about footy. There's not plenty of teams of all women. Okay, seriously, my podcasting to date has been two seasons of Serial. So I'm holding out great hope that at one point during this season, one of you gets wrongfully convicted of something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go into full Sarah Coney. There's hope. There's hope. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.